Child is missing shoes. <laughs> One of them. Although when I was in youth group, I went without shoes intentionally, which is another story. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Bucure Baptist Church this morning. Thank you for coming out, even in the rain. In the French Quarter, that means something. Although it all the smellscape improves when it rains, you know. It's just, but it's harder to walk around. Um, thanks for being here. We do have a couple announcements this morning. Y'all may have seen when you walked in. In addition to the lovely gardenias and roses that somehow appeared, uh, there is also an offering envelope. If you want to contribute to the Louisiana Baptist Children's Home, and if you don't know about the Louisiana Baptist Children's Home. Uh, it is a group foster care home uh, that is a wonderful, wonderful place. And so it's, it's a, a place that can provide some, um, some care to, to folks who really need it. Um, so if you want to contribute to that, they, you know, we, we try to keep up with our denominational offerings. They have an offering coming up uh, soon. Should have looked at it. It's soon. No one else knows. I'm looking at all my, my folk in the back. Phil just gave me a thumbs up. That helps me not at all. <laughs> Uh, but if you want to contribute to that, there's some envelopes. June 19th. She was way more helpful. <laughs> June 19th. Um, beyond that, we do have a small group this week on, on Tuesday night at my place and Wednesday night here at the church. Y'all pray with me as we, as we get started. Well, okay, one more. I'm sorry. We also have communion at, at the, towards the end of our service today. I'm going to go ahead and tell you now uh, how we're going to do that. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to... Uh, read words of institution first. I'm going to read the um, the words for the uh, the bread, and then we're going to read the words for um, wine or it's it's juice. It's actually got a little cranberry this morning, you know. Uh, yeah, no one said the communion wine can't be enjoyable. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna pass that out, and then we're gonna all take it back to our seats and then eat and drink together. Um, and so that's how we're gonna do that. Pray with me now as we get started. Father God, thank you for this moment in the rain, in the French Quarter, God, that we can lift up and exalt your name. Um, Lord, that we can come and glorify and praise you, God, even here, even now. God, with everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in our lives, God, it's hard to remember that you don't change. I mean, you react and respond in loving and caring ways as any parent does to the world and the, your people and everything that we're going through, God, but you are the one constant that grounds us. Lord, through all of the many lifetimes that our families have lived, God, you are the thing that is the same. God, the thing that binds us together, not just with each other, but with all of our ancestors, all of the folk who came before us, God, who came together in their time and place to love and worship you. God, and I pray this morning for your spirit to inhabit this place. God, for your spirit to change each and every one of us, Lord, um, that we would see your truth and your word today. God, because we know your truth will set us free. 
God, and I desperately long to be free today. I know that I am not free, and I desperately long for that. God, so I've come this morning to meet you. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Amen. One more thing I'm going to say before I invite Jake up. Uh, just that I, am, I have the great privilege this morning of uh, introducing Andrew Wilson, uh, not Jared Wilson, as, as I've been trying to call him all week, but Andrew Wilson, uh, who's here with us uh, from First Baptist Church, where he, he goes to church, First Baptist New Orleans, and he's going to be preaching, bring the word this morning. I'm very grateful to him uh, for giving me time this week to focus entirely on uh, trust-based relational intervention conference that I attended this week, uh, which was fantastic, and if you think you are going to uh, get out of hearing me talk about trust-based relational intervention and ways of addressing trauma in children and in adults, uh, you're wrong. I'm going to talk about it constantly. Everybody's going to hear about it. Uh, all the kids' volunteers are going to be training. It's going to be great. Uh, Jess and I, were at the conference together. We're plotting together what TBR is going to do in our church. Uh, so thank you, Andrew. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving me a chance to focus.
you hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord, my helper. You have turned my mourning into You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. Good morning, church. This is from John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. The second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten the belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which you would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. Please pray with us. Gracious and faithful God, you have heard our cries for help and have given yourself to become our healing. You have gone down into the pit of death and returned triumphant, restoring life where once was only loss. But we go on as we were before, 
thinking we can solve our own problems, make our own way, save our own lives. Forgive us, O Lord. Call us again. Trust in your voice, to awe in your power, to give ourselves for one another and for you. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. The Lord our God turns mourning into dancing. He takes off our sackcloth and clothes us with joy. Through him you are forgiven. You are welcomed. You are loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord. Let us praise him and not be silent. God of victory over death, your son revealed himself again and again and convinced his followers of his glorious resurrection. Grant that we may know his risen presence and love obediently feed his sheep and care for the lambs of his flock until we join the hosts of heaven in worshiping you and praising him who is worthy of blessing and honor, glory and power forever
us as we open up your word this morning. We would be evangelizing. Share his problems with us. I pray that we would be attentive to your wisdom. And that we would be mindful of it, that we would ingest it and live it out through the rest of our week, that it wouldn't just pass over us, but that you would work in us. Help us to know you more. talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor living friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it. And what's more, you'll be a man, my son. Rudyard Kipling wrote these famous words to conclude his poem, If. I probably heard if in the context of a college graduation or maybe a high school football rah-rah speech about, you know, oh, these are the things you gotta do to be a man. So when I was reading through Proverbs 2 this week, I, I thought about this poem and thought, well, you know, what if we just had Proverbs 2 instead? That would be a lot better if poem uh, to, to give us wisdom for life. So Proverbs 2 is, you know, continuing the beginning of the book of Proverbs. It's before it kind of goes into Twitter mode where it's just a lot of detached <laughs> thoughts. Um, it's still kind of a, a cohesive argument rather than a collection of sayings. And so in the beginning of Proverbs, we have, you know, this prologue in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, we have these uh, words of advice or moral instruction for the son who will listen. Parents who are out here will say, I wish all of our sons would listen, or all of our children would listen. I know my parents said that with one of three boys. Um, but Proverbs chapter 2, an if and then kind of poem. Let's read it together. Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and good and what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight ways to walk in dark ways, and who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her path to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to even open your word and read it. We realize that it's a privilege to have your word. So we submit ourselves to you and to your teaching, uh, particularly your words here in Proverbs. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and that our hearts would listen. We pray that we would grasp what you teach us and that we would understand it and apply it. And most of all, we pray that we would know you through your Son. Uh, we pray that this would be the way to wisdom, that we would walk in it. Thank you. Just for your goodness in all of our lives. We pray that you are with us now. Hide me behind the cross door. Amen. So we see in the book of Proverbs this idea of wisdom as something to be sought after. And if it's something to be sought after, as if it's something very valuable. So I'll kind of go quickly through the first four verses. But there's sort of a description of the approach of how to seek wisdom. How are we supposed to attain this wisdom? God's not hiding himself from us. He wants us to listen and obey to him. And so this isn't like a recipe or a formula, but it is the path to wisdom. So first one, start in the word. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. So I think about Psalm 119. How does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to the word. Or again in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So we want to start in the word. We want to stay in the word. We want to store the word within us. It says, storing up my commands within you. When I read that verse, I thought about a walk-in pantry. Now, you know, maybe with all the pasta in the glass jars, and they've got the supplies they need. They've done some canning. They've got uh, these different things so that when a need comes up, you can just walk into 
the pantry. And we, you know, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we know that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from, uh, from God. So he's saying here, the path to wisdom starts in the word, and the path to wisdom stays in the word, and you should store the word in your heart. Uh, so that, you know, when, when life's troubles arise, you've got something stored within you to give you sustenance. Uh, this is the way of wisdom, not only to, to read the word, but to store the word in you. And not only to read and to store, but to hear and to do. Uh, so verse 2 reminded me of the book of James. It talks about, let us not be hearers only, but also doers of the word. Look at, look at verse 2. Turning your ear to wisdom... And applying your heart to understanding. So the path to wisdom isn't an intellectual exercise, but it's something you do with your heart, something you do uh, with your whole being, right? This is something that we learn from God. We allow it to form our minds um, so that we have these things stored up. And also like an, an eager student, I said I'll be going through these quickly, so... We're on verse 3 now, looking at, at this eager person who's saying, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. I don't think this is about the know-it-all student, you know, the one who always has to answer the teacher with a question. But it's this, the person who is, like, eagerly seeking it, and they're having this almost shout. They're like, yes, when they get it. Um, William McCain said, Here the ideal pupil greets insight and discernment with a shout. Of acclamation. So, so far we've got starting in the word, staying in the word, and storing it in you, being not only hearers, but also doers of the word, being an eager student. And then there's the idea of this treasure hunt, that wisdom is something so valuable that you ought to seek it as if it's a treasure. So it talks about this silver. Uh, so is Charles Bridges asked, you know, what miner would be content with the first <coughs> So he's out there searching for silver, and he finds it, and he's like, this is great, I've got silver, this is going to be enough for the day, and he just goes away. I found where it starts, I'm through. He says, no, would he not search deeper and deeper until he has possessed himself of the whole, not satisfied with taking away much, but refusing are determined to leave nothing. Thus let us daily explore the length and the breadth and the depth of our boundless stores until we be filled with all the fullness of God. Wisdom isn't something that you find and you say, oh, this is great. This is my payday. I've got what I need for the day. No, wisdom is something that I found this. I'm going to dig deep. This is going to be with me for my life. Uh, you invest everything into these this silver mine of wisdom. And you search for it as if it's a hidden treasure. This will probably be the only church I can use this illustration in because you're two blocks, maybe three blocks away from Nicolas Cage's tombstone. Um, or just across Rampart, there's a pyramid grave that uh, Nicolas Cage has bought for when he dies. Um, and Nicolas Cage is in the movie National Treasure. So you know at the end they get to this big treasure room and they've got all this stuff and it's going to change their whole lives. But earlier on in the movie he's trying to convince his dad, you know, we found this ship and so the clues are real, which means the treasure has to be real, which means we ought to go all in and 
find it. I think this is what Solomon is saying here in the Proverbs. This wisdom is real. And if you'll look for it, you can find it. And it's going to change your entire life. If you'll just pay attention. This isn't like a list of qualifications of like, you got to do these things in order that God will give you wisdom. God's saying just pay attention to my words. Listen to what I've already told you. Store it within you. Approach it as if it's going to be something you apply to your life. Approach it like an eager student who wants to learn. Look for wisdom like it's a silver mine that can provide you with a lifetime of wealth. Look for it as if it's a treasure worth abandoning everything else for. This is the way which we ought to approach wisdom. So that's the if. If we will go after wisdom in these ways, then, then you will find the fear of the Lord. So we see the source of the wisdom in verses 5 through 8. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Verse 7, he holds success in store for the upright. Excuse me. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. So we see here that if is if you're pursuing it in these ways, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So in Proverbs 1, verse 7, you've got the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and understanding. So we don't want to take the path of the fool. We want to take the path of the wise man, and it begins with the fear of the Lord. I can stop yelling now. <laughs> it begins with the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is this concept of how we are to approach God. Um, it's not like fear, like you're you're startled or you're scared by something that, that pops up at you, but it's a reverence, and it's an awe, and it's acknowledgement of who God is and who we're not. Uh, so the fear of the Lord says, you are God in heaven, and I am man on earth, so I bow to you, and I admit that your ways are higher my ways, that your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and so it's this bowing is this deference is this understanding of who God is and that he really does have a plan for us and that we just have to pay attention and, and to see what it is so then this opens the door uh, to a, a personal relationship with him on his terms um, by his grace so Eric Lang wrote it will bring you into a personal relationship with God based on trust. So that's that fear of the Lord, that trusting who he is, and love. Uh, as we know more about God, we'll, we'll love him. Uh, so fear and knowledge. So he says, this is always the primary purpose for which God approaches himself, approaches us in his word, uh, so that he may make himself known to us and bring us to himself. Uh, but we became estranged through our sin. So it was the main task that he sent his son, he sent his son in sending him among us to die for sins. It was to bring us to God. So this knowledge of him, or wisdom in verse 6, comes entirely from his grace. The Lord gives it. 
Um, the steps in verses 1 through 4 are means, not qualifications, of receiving the grace enshrined in his word. That's a lengthy quote there, but I, I think that's really good about kind of what we believe about the theology of Scripture. God is holy and set above, but he's not hiding. He wants to be known, and he's revealed himself in his word and in his son. And so it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So how do we experience this grace or this wisdom that comes from God? We experience it through his word and through his son. Um, so you, you can really see that here where he's talking about, you know, God's not hiding from you. If you'll seek him in this way, according to his grace, then he'll reveal himself to you and you can know God. Uh, that, that's just miraculous to me that he would even want to have anything to do with us. Um, you know, after we rejected him. He could have written us off. He could have canceled us. Instead, he chose us. Um, and he chose us through his son. And he offers us this ability to know him if, if we'll only listen. So this isn't legalism of like, okay, well, you got to go out there and be the best student you can. you got to go out there and be the best treasure hunter you can. And you got to memorize all these scriptures. And when you memorize them and keep them in your heart, you're going to know God. No, it's, he's already out there. He's made a way for you to know him. But this is the path that we've got to walk uh, if we want to know him. And so we can receive that and understand him as the source of wisdom. And then there are these benefits uh, that, that come along with wisdom. So wisdom isn't just a way to think. It's a way to live. Um, and if you live in wisdom, then, then the Lord will protect you from these various things. So verses 9 through 22 really start talk about his protection and his provision. Um, verse 9 says, Then, so remember, if you seek him in all these ways, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. So when I was reading through Proverbs 2, I noticed that there's the word path and there's the word ways and there's the word course, and this is kind of a repeated theme, so I counted them up. And I got six counts of paths, five counts of ways, and then one course. So that's 12 times in 22 verses that he's talking about. This is your, for your analytics baseball guys out here. <laughs> 12 times in, uh, in 22 verses that he's talking about the path or the way. It really sets up this theme of there being two paths. Uh, the path of the unwise and the path of the wise. The path that leads to death and the path that leads to to life. So we have these two paths, and wisdom gives you that understanding and discernment. So verses 9 through 12, then you'll understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Uh, discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. My neighbor across the street, uh, when I was growing up, a man named Rod, and he would always tell us, got to be alert. Got to be aware of your surroundings. I think this idea of wisdom here, protecting you is, you know, kind of like Rod saying to us kids, got to be alert. Got to be aware of your surroundings. Uh, wisdom opens our eyes and lets us see what's going on in the world and, and uh, helps us identify 
you know, if I do this, then it's going to lead to this. And this is a path towards destruction. Or if I put myself in this situation, this is going to help me grow and depend on the Lord. And this is a path that leads to life. Um, you got to be intentional about it. Uh, Andy Stanley has a quote. He says, nobody's ever drifted in a good direction. Uh, you got to be aware of what path you're on. Because our human inclination is to be on a path that leads to destruction. But wisdom challenges that and allows us to join the path of life. So what are the other benefits of wisdom? And how do I know that I'm taking the proper path? Well, wisdom also offers protection. So verses 12 through 15 say, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark paths, who delight in wrongdoing, who rejoice in the perverseness of evil, and whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. I don't really have to illustrate this to you because you, you already know it. So we see in the, in the news all the time when we got these young kids that have committed some crime, and then at the end they say, well, he got mixed up with the wrong crowd, or he had a, a bad influence on them. He was running around with the wrong people and so nobody's surprised that they've ended up in a bad situation because he got mixed up with the wrong folks. We know that. So there's not really much to illustrate there, but just this principle from, from the scripture that bad company corrupts good character. Or uh, if you're a, a rap music fan, uh, Lecrae has a line that says, life is like a pair of dice, so watch the ones you're rolling with. Uh, but the idea there is you know, bad company corrupts good character, so so see who you're with. And wisdom allows you to, to avoid these men who, you know, they started out, they knew what was good, and then they twisted things and ended up in this path of corruption. So then another example he gives right after is uh, wisdom protecting you from temptation. Uh, so verses 16 through 19, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. So she also you know, was on, had a covenant and then left it and then you know, steering other people away. And none who go to her house uh, return to the paths of life. So there is a house in New Orleans that they call the rising sun. And it has been the ruin of many a poor woman. And you don't have to be one. Um, my dad, I was thinking about using that. And he said, well, you need to tell him that the church is the house of the risen sun. So I thought that was a good dad joke to share with you. But we don't have to go down that way. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time there. But I do wanna note a link between you know, these wicked men and the adulterous woman. That you see. So verse 12, save you from the ways of the wicked men whose words are perverse. And then verse 16, save you from the adulterous woman, the wayward woman, with her seductive words. So you've got these, whether it's the bad influences or whether it's the temptation of the wayward woman, both of them are using the primary strategy of their words to lure people into sin. So what you listen to is important. And what you think about is important and, and the, 
the ideas and the philosophies that you pay attention to can direct your life. So these men with their wayward words and the woman with her seductive words are both using something good to twist it and turn it into something bad. So they may have started on the path that leads to life but have twisted it to the path that leads to death. But they're using the same methodology, the, the words, the wayward words or the seductive words. And the contrast is with very, the very first verse. Verse 1 where it says, My son, if you accept my words. You see what's going on here? When we abandon the path of life or the path of death, it's probably because of something that we've listened to or a lie we've told ourselves or something we've rationalized or something we've picked up in the media or something we've seen other people do and say, oh, well, they're saying this and they're doing this. It's going to be okay. They say, my son, listen to my words because if you get them twisted, then the consequences are dire. So how do we tune our hearts to listen to God's words and not these words of temptation? A few years ago, uh, Desiring God released a blog on how to deal with temptation. And the author used this great illustration that stuck with me for a few years, and so I want to share it with you. So he says in these epic poems, when the, the hero has to go past the island of the siren, they usually have a strategy for avoiding the temptation. And so the sirens are these kind of mermaid-like creatures that sing a beautiful song and promise pleasure, but then when you get there, they destroy you. And so that's what a siren is. So how do they defend themselves against the song of the siren or the lure of temptation? So when Ulysses was going to go past the island of the siren, he knew, i got to have a plan because I'm going to be tempted and I'm going to want to go there and it's going to destroy me. So he told his men, you know what, tie me to the mast and whatever I do, don't let me fall into temptation. So he had these people just bind them to the ship and they go by and He's tied up, so they they avoid the temptation. Well, Jason and the Argonauts also go by the island of the Sirens. And when Jason goes by, he says, you know, we're going to go past the island of the Sirens. I'm going to be tempted by this, so I need to have a plan. So Jason hires Orpheus, a singer, to sing a better song than the Sirens. So when he goes by, He's not bound to the mass, but he's listening to a better song, and he can walk about in freedom and avoid the temptation as well. So why do I bring in these stories from mythology? I'm here to tell you that, that wisdom is the better song. You can go through life protected from temptation, not because you're bound up in this legalistic, oh, grin and bear it but because you're listening to a better song. It was the words of the wicked man, it was the words of the wayward woman that led these people in the situation astray, but it's the word of life that will keep you on the path of wisdom. So my encouragement to you is to, to watch who you're with, watch what you're listening to, and then to tune your heart into the frequency of the gospel. Uh, we'll live in such a way that we realize that there's no, no reason that God should have saved us. We had a chance and we rejected him, but he gave himself anyway. And if we listen to that frequency of his love, then 
the temptations in our life will become less desirable as we fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Then, verse 20, describes the destination. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. So then he gives a positive argumentation and a negative argumentation. He says the positive, the righteous will live in the land, the negative, the wicked, will be cut off. So this is really calling back to that idea from the Pentateuch of, you know, we want to follow the Lord and live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. We don't want to be cut off from Him. So New Testament idea, we want to dwell in Christ. We want to abide in Christ. So kind of summing a lot of this up and coming to that, that final path. Wisdom then is, is worth seeking. You and I want to find this treasure worth finding. You and I want to know who God is. You want to know the right path to take. You want to find solace in His protection. You want to dwell with God. We certainly don't want to be cut off from Him. But how do we do it? How do we come to uh, God through wisdom? Colossians chapter 2 has this encouragement about where wisdom is hidden. Uh, he says, Paul writes, My goal is that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So all of this is in Christ. It's not something we do, not something we conjure up. We can't memorize enough Bible verses or store them away or listen attentively enough. We have to come to Christ on His terms. True wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. You know, we talked about all these different usages of the word path or the different usages of the word way. There's only one person who truly said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So wisdom then is this way of living that is living in Christ. Now Christ is the true wisdom. And if we'll live in Him, um, then we'll enjoy those benefits of knowing God and of living in His protection, living the wise life. I think it's appropriate to end there with Jesus being the way and the truth and the life, uh, especially as we think about communion coming up. So Jesus would have said that towards the end of his life. And, and now we're going to celebrate that with the word. Uh, so I just want to thank you again for the opportunity to be here and encourage you as you live your life to seek his wisdom like it's a treasure. Uh, to be that eager student and to, to know the fear of the Lord and discern between the two paths. And my prayer is that you will choose Christ, who is the true path to God. Amen. Let's uh, prepare for communion with one last song.
could have given us any sign, anything, to remember him. But the sign that he chose was daily bread and wine. These daily things, these daily reminders of the way that he spiritually sustains us. I'm going to read these words of institution. Y'all come as you will, and then we'll all eat together. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat.
In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Pray with me. Christ, we do remember you. We do remember your body broken and your blood shed for us, God, in our place. God, and we thank you, we praise you for this work that you've done on the cross that brings us forgiveness. God, thank you for loving us enough that you wanted to be with us. God, like Andrew said, that that you even pay attention to us. What is man that you're mindful of him? God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Before we go today, please join me in the singing of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures and peace to love and serve the Lord.